0: is uh, if you can imagine that the figure that I'm drawing before you is actually, you can tell me what it is. Okay, I'm sure you know what that is, right? Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. That's an elephant. Now, uh, the reason why you know that it's an elephant it's because of what is called the deductive process. The deductive process means you start with a whole. Uh, all women are pretty. Betty is a woman, therefore Betty is, okay? So if you start with women, that's an incomplete thought and it doesn't tell you uh, what the person actually wants you to understand about the incomplete thought. So the inductive Bible study doesn't start with the whole. It starts with the part. So it means that you study the individual sections in order for you to understand. That is, studying the context by the words, by the punctuation, by the the grammar, by the historical context, and basically... In a nutshell, it's studying the scriptures in context. It is studying the scriptures exegetically, and it's studying the scriptures without interruption from the multimedia ministry. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen. Um, So if I were to ask you, if I had just stayed the word trunk, what kind of trunk would I be talking about? Don't know. It could be, what, what can a trunk be? Trunk. trunk of a car, tree trunk, elephant trunk, elephant trunk luggage. Mm-hmm. So a trunk could be, the only way that you know what kind of trunk that I'm talking about is the context. What, that which comes with the text. So if I gave you more details, then you would understand. And so that's the way the Bible is written to be understood. The Bible says, God, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Uh, not only is God not mocked, he doesn't mock us. And so we have uh, the scriptures that are given in various types of uh, genres. Uh, there's prophecy, there's poetry, there's historical narrative, there's, there's what's called the didactic or teaching um, sections of the Bible, like the whole entire book of Romans is considered a didactic book because it's a theological, theological treatise. So... Um, there's uh, geographical information in Scripture. So all, those are all ways that you can, you can study the Bible theologically. You can study it geographically. You can study it biographically, didactically, uh, uh, historically, and so forth. So that's what inductive Bible study helps you to know as you're going through the Scriptures. It's like un, it's discovering treasure by knowing where to search. Amen? So... The definition of the term method is simply a path to an end. It's, it's a direction. It is, a, it is a, a predetermined course. So one of the ways <clears throat> that I've always, for as long as I can remember, remember as a Christian, I study the Bible, but I studied the Bible different ways every time. <laughs> I didn't have a predetermined method. And so when we talk about the inductive Bible study method, I'm giving you a particular path or predetermined course and steps to take so that when you go and you study the Word of God, you follow the same procedures each time. And by doing that, that helps you to become more proficient at what Paul says, study to show yourself approved, a workman who accurately, cut straight. And the word that Paul uses for cutting straight is the same term that tent makers use. Paul was a tent maker. He was bivocational at times. And in order for a tent maker to keep a job, he had to cut straight. And so we become more accurate and proficient in our study of the word of God when we learn the method. And so uh, we have a whole course on inductive Bible study. So this little bit of information I'm going to give you now is just kind of wetting um, your appetites and giving some superficial uh, steps. So the first step in inductive Bible study is called observation. Observation, and basically observation is what do I see? Uh, What do I see? And in the observational what do I see stage, you ask the interrogative questions. What are interrogative questions? What are six of them. Who, what, when, why, how, why? I said why already, didn't I? When. When. when? So, so I'm going to the text, and I'm asking the question. Those six questions in the observational stage. I'm not trying to interpret it. I'm not trying to uh, go to the second step, but I just want to know those six interrogative questions. Turn to the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter one. We'll we'll just do a quick exercise. I used to have help with the board, but since Brother Deacon Tim got got healed by the Lord, he don't help me no more. (laughs) I prayed for him, too. I don't know. I don't know, man. Sometimes, you know, the scriptures say there are times you shouldn't pray, but I did pray for the brother. So, observation. Look, read Acts chapter 1. Verse eight, but you shall what? You see, power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts inhabited Okay, inhabited world or earth. Okay. So, observations. Let's start with that. What do I see in that? verse what do I see what are the so I'm starting with the interrogative questions who's speaking how do you know (laughs) 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 so (laughs) that is not so here's what you would if you when you learn inductive bible study if you were stranded on an abandoned island, all you had was your Bible without the red lettering, <laughs> you should be able to find out. So, how do you know it's Jesus speaking without the red lettering? How do you know to go ahead, behind, or the proceed, preceding verses? What kind of word introduces verse 8? So the word, okay, so the first word, so what I do, I start off with the key words. So but is what kind of word? It's a conjunction, and what's a conjunction? It's a word that joins what preceded to what is currently being spoken of. So but takes me back into the preceding verses, and in the preceding verses, in, in Acts, the book of Acts, that's the other thing as you're going through, not jumping ahead, uh, takes you all the way back to Luke chapter 24, and you discover that it was Luke, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, and he gave the book to be, to pre- be preserved by a, a man named Theophilus. Okay, so a key word is but. It's a conjunction. It's a, it's a hinge word, okay? And there are different types of conjunctions, but we don't—so we, we know it's Jesus— uh, who is he speaking to? Uh, the disciples. How do you know? Because they were with him when he was
1: talking. How do you know? The says
0: so. So, right in that passage, yes. you go right back where he tells them to go wait in So he's talking to he's talking to the disciples. Okay. All right. When did Jesus say these words? When did when did this occur? Okay, you would be wrong. <laughs> it didn't happen in the upper room. Okay. After the resurrection. And so Jesus is teaching them. Where did, where, where, where did Jesus teach the disciples for 40 days and 40 nights? On the Mount of Olives. So he says... Um, So it occurs after Jesus has died, the location where he's teaching them is the Mountain of Olives. Uh, Why does Jesus, what does Jesus say to them? What are some of the things that are important about what is said? He says, speaking to the disciples, you will be what? Okay, okay. Disciples will be his witnesses. Okay. Then you ask the question, what is the witness? You're not answering the question. You're just asking. We're not answering the question. That's interpretation. So in observational stage, you're just asking. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. So, and then you can ask the question, what is that? You already know because you know the scriptures. Um why what would be a why question here? Why does he say it? Okay. Say it to them. So everybody can be a witness, can they? When was this going to happen? We have an adjective. After what? The Holy Spirit has been tarried for. What did he say? After the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you're going to be my witnesses. But you, not only are you going to, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, but something else is going to come with the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power. Okay? And this power to be my witness is going to, your assignment is that you will be my witnesses where? Starting where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all of the inhabitants. Now, what's interesting, that's just an example of us. someone has gotten as many as 600 observations from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just pulling it apart. Is uh, the Holy Spirit will be if He says you're going to receive it, which means you don't have to work for it, you don't have to tear for it. So all of those you look for, you can look for your verbs, you can look for your nouns, look for your adjectives, look for your conjunctions, look for your pronouns. You know, uh, and uh, there's I actually have if if you're interested, I actually have uh, sheets that tell you what kind of words to look for, like therefore, why is it there, why is therefore, what, why is it, why is therefore, what, you know what I mean, what is it there for, eh, yeah, so I got those kind of, that kind of information, Uh, and I'm not going to make you wait to take the course, I can probably make that available, so first step is observation, you can actually start that now, when you know that you're going to be studying, uh, 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 a book of the Bible or something like that. Um, you start with inductive Bible study. This first step is observation. Um, the second step is interpretation. What does it mean? What does it mean? Now, notice this, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a descending chronological uh, order, descending order. You don't start your inductive Bible study like a lot of preachers and teachers do They start with, what does it mean to you? And that's really application. It's not what it means to you. What does the the text mean for the readers who are listening to it when they heard it? What What was the intended meaning to the audience that received it? That's what we want to get back to. So if I was sitting in the audience when Jesus said that with the other 11 disciples, how would I have understood what Jesus was saying? So second step is what does it mean? The third step is how can I apply what I see and understand the meaning of to my personal life? How can I apply it? That's the third step. A lot of preaching, it starts right with application. It has nothing to do with what's going on in in the context of the text. It is. It is. You can make any passage say what you want it to. I used to be, as a young preacher, I would get a great idea, but I didn't have a passage for the idea. And then I would go and find a passage and try to force my idea on the passage. The way it works, and the way it should work now, I'll have a great idea, and I'll even have an idea in my mind about how it should be preached, but when I go to the passage by the time I do the inductive, it's totally different from how I would do it I want to preach I want people to be jumping and hollering but the passage doesn't <laughs> dictate jumping and hollering <laughs> you know so I go wherever the passage leads me and then at, in in the in in the in the preparation you when you finish making your observation your interpretation he you said Here's how this applies. So here's how we can do what we understand based on what we've seen, okay? And then the fourth step is uh, correlation. Uh, and that, that's what that word should be, correlation, not observation. Put correlation there, correlation. And here's correlation. Here's what it means. How does what I see and understand that applies to me relate to the rest of the Bible. If if it's an outlier and it doesn't sound like anything else that is in the Bible, you don't develop a doctrine based on a single verse. And if it sounds different from what everybody else said, it's probably because you're you're not understanding the context properly. So the Bible interprets itself. So inductive Bible study starts with observation, the interrogative questions, who, what, when, why, where, how. Second step is interpretation. What does it mean? Third step is application. How does it apply? What, I, what, what the Bible teaches and what I've seen. And does it accurately correlate with the rest of the Scripture? So that's the word correlation, correlation. Okay. Now, what I do is give an assignment to the student and practice with them from Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. We don't have time to do that today, but that's a chapter about worrying. And you just do. And for your own personal uh, experience, you can go to that passage in your free time and take this information that I've given you and, 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 and apply it to learn the method of inductive Bible study. Okay, any questions about that? It's right in your, your, your notes. Yes, right at the bottom. Okay, thank you. And Jesus said, away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And him only you shall serve. Christ always refuted the enemy with the, with the word. And the more accurately you are in your understand, accurate you are in your understanding of the word, the more effectively you're going to be able to speak a rhema word, a preceding word, a word that addresses the circumstance that you're, that you're dealing with. We need some air in here. Amen. Fight the urge, fight the urge, temptation. Uh, you all are familiar with the character uh, Superman. He had two weaknesses. Anybody remember what they were? That was the one that could kill him. And his second weakness was Lois Lane. <laughs> Lois Lane. Yeah, he lost his mind when it came to Lois. Uh, Just like Superman struggled with kryptonite, it would weaken him uh, and and basically render him uh, to the same level of strength as a mortal human being. We all have kryptonite. We all have areas in our life that are sources of temptation for us. Temptation is not sin, but yielding to temptation is. Someone uh, once said, I can resist anything but temptation. Those are not the words of a Christian. Uh, Again, speaking from my own experience as a young Christian, I was not honest about the areas of my weaknesses, I thought, now that I'm a pastor, I'm on I'm I'm hallowed grounds of Dallas Seminary. There's no sin up here. Mm, I was wrong, and uh, I had to learn how to be honest about my own weaknesses. Why is it important to know your weaknesses? Okay, so you can pray about it. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, Make no provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. If you know what your weaknesses are, you will avoid setting yourself up for failure. But if you lie to yourself, you're going to fall. Amen? There's a passage in, uh, Roman, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that says, He who thinks he stands, just get ready to fall. We, you, none of us are so strong that we cannot fall. Now, t- in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Jesus teaches us how to fight the urge to yield to temptation. And there are four things that we need to know to overcome the power of, of the enemy uh, who is, has the authority over familiar spirits or demons. And the four things are preparation. We need to be prepared, preparation. Secondly, we need information. Thirdly, we need application. And then the fourth thing we'll see in this passage is declaration. Preparation, information, application, declaration. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Somebody want to read Matthew chapter 4. Uh, 4 1 through. Just read until I uh, ask you to stop, please.
1: Stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceed out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written, Again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels
0: came and ministered unto him. Isn't it interesting that after Jesus resisted the devil, the angels came and ministered to him. And one of the things that we need to learn is that the greater the temptation, the greater the release of what, the, what God has prepared for us when we overcome the temptation. So we're as, as intense as the te- temptation is, the ministering of the angels is just as close, if we if we if we walk in victory over the temptation. So the first thing we notice is how did Jesus ended up end up in the wilderness? He was led there, so the, he was prepared for to be tempted. He was led to the wilderness to be tempted. So preparation you need to be prepared in order to walk in victory to not give in to not, not given to our urges. So preparation is needed. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where it says, uh, there's no temptation that has taken you, but such that is common to man. But God is faithful. So preparation is needed. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit And what does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? That's where the idea of preparation comes from. We talked about this last week. To be led by the Spirit means that you are under the Spirit's control. You are yielded. You are filled. You are activated, motivated, and captivated by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so preparation is needed. Preparation requires anticipation. He was led up into the wilderness to be what? To be tempted. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he was tempted in all points like as we are. So anticipation, if Jesus could be tempted, what about us? What about us? Preparation requires being led by the Spirit. Uh, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. You must allow the Spirit of God to empower you. And that's a decision. The scripture says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It's a decision to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It is a, it's not a feeling. I don't know how many times I've been where I shouldn't have been, and I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to give me a feeling. No, he already gave me, I already had instructions about what to do. So when I do what, the, what I'm supposed to do, I'm being led. Not only by the word, but the word of God is spirit. So we need to be, we need to anticipate we're going to be tem- tempted. We need to be led by the spirit. That's how we overcome the flesh. The Bible says in our, in our, in our flesh, if we try to resist uh, temptation just by the, the, the power of our will, even if we're successful, God says we can't please him. Because all of our righteousnesses are what? Filthy rag. So I want to I learn how to yield and be controlled by the Holy Spirit. How do you know when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit? You do what the Word says. Mm-hmm. You'll do what the Word says, and there'll be some, they'll, you'll, you'll manifest the fruit through the Spirit. Uh, preparation requires acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of the difference between temptations and trials. What's the difference between a trial and a temptation? That's, these are the kind of questions that you're asking. James chapter 1, verses 3 through 15 says, Let no man say when he is tempted of God, for God does what? God tempteth no man with evil, but when everyone is tempted, he's drawn away by his own lust, and when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. But in James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4 says, Counted all joy... When we are tested, when we, are, when we go through trials, because the testing of our faith does what? Work with patience and let patience have its perfect work so that we'll be lacking in nothing. So God tests us. Satan tempts us. We talked about this on Wednesday night, bondage breaker. Satan is not omni ob- But how does he know how to tempt us? How does he he knows our habits? He knows our patterns. That's why the Bible says we need to be aware of the devil's strategies, the devil's methodology. And so one of the methods that the devil has is he assigns demons to all of us. And the demons develop a profile (laughs) and that reveals what our tendencies are. And, uh, again, going back to the need for us to be honest about the areas where we have, where, what, what, what is your kryptonite? What is your kryptonite? So God tests us. What's the purpose, purpose of testing? To make us let patience have her. The word perfect means complete for, the, for the, the, the aim of maturity. God tests us to show us where we are spiritually so that we can reach where we need to be in terms of our, our spiritual growth. Okay? So we all are going to be tempted. Um, and one of the hardest things for new Christians is when, they, when you become saved, and you still struggle with temptation, you quest, Satan will cause you to question whether or not, why am I still struggling here? A Christian that is not empowered by the Holy Spirit is capable of doing anything that an unsaved person can and will do. Amen? Okay. All right. Acknowledge the difference between temptation and trials. Acknowledgement that uh, that temptation... Is not sin. Temptation is not sin. The scripture says, Yield not to temptation because yielding is sin. So I can be tempted, but that doesn't mean I have to give in to, well, I'm already tempted. I might as well I'll pass it on. Uh, you don't have to give in to what the devil is using to bait, to lure, to entice. We can resist temptation. In fact, the Bible says resist the devil and he'll what? He'll flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh. The way we resist the devil and cause him to flee from us is by drawing near to God. By drawing near. How do we draw near to God when we're tempted? And why is it so hard? Why would it have been difficult for Jesus after 40 days of fasting and praying to resist Satan? Because he was weak. So the devil attacks us on the f- when, we had, when we are at our weakest physically. He attacks us when we are spiritually vulnerable. Where did, where did Satan take Jesus after he was told, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the rhema word of God, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? And he said, he taketh him to where? He took him to church. <laughs> He t- so so Satan tempts Jesus physically because he was actually hungry. He tempts us sexually because we where do sexual drives come desires come from? Satan, right? No, God God gave us sexual desires. If He didn't, we couldn't be fruitful and multiply. Amen. So he, God gave us his sexual desires, but his his, Satan takes what God calls good and tries to pervert it by tempting us to have those needs satisfied in ways that God, God, con, God condemns. So the need is real. When you leave church on a Sunday and you go home as a single person and your phone doesn't ring. Nobody texts you. You don't get any mail but bills. And you buy yourself all week until you come to church again. Loneliness is real. Amen. And so the devil can play with your mind. And now you're spending all your time on going to all kinds of places on your phone, on, your, on, your, on the Internet. And I, I was always amazed. I, I, was a, I worked with geriatrics for about three years. And you go into these rooms, these senior citizens' homes. And people who are bed-bound have pornography videos going up to the ceiling. It doesn't go away when you, the older you get, it doesn't necessarily get better. But these are, in other words, the devil attacks us at our weakest moment in the area of our physical needs, our emotional needs. And then he takes Jesus to the highest pinnacle and he takes him to the mountain. He shows him the kingdoms of the earth. Was that a legitimate offer when Satan says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you bow down and worship me? Was that legit? Why wasn't it legit? Who's the king of this world? World system. Yeah, yeah that was a legitimate offer. If you bow to me, I'll give you authority over the system that I'm, that I'm running. All right? you know, We know that all authority is ultimately God's, but Satan, by permission of God, is actually running this. This world system, that's why the Bible says, love not the world, neither things that are in the world, because this world system is under the prince of the power of the air. So he, so he attacks Jesus physically, attacks him spiritually. He also attacks him materially. I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world if you bow down. So the devil knows exactly when and how to attack. So... What was that? Algorithm? Right. That's a perfect illustration. I was looking for uh, a player's uh, injury history. And the next time I clicked there, I had all types of football, teams, etc. How'd they know I was interested? So the algorithms on the computer, they find out what your interests are. I'm looking at my phone. Now, if you look at my phone and see pictures of, and I tell my wife on, on, on YouTube, and all these, I don't know where these women come from. I ain't trying to see them. I'm really not trying to see them. But they're all on my phone, got the shoes and the styling. and I'm trying to, You don't know how to even get rid of them. They're right in your face. you studying the scriptures online, and they got pictures of women, you know, in uh, all kinds of questionable, Right on the, the past, on the page, I don't know what to do with them. So if you ever come in the room and i what do you do? After they push it to you. They After push they, the Because how do, they, well, how do they know to push it to me? Well, it, it, it's just keywords. It doesn't necessarily have to always be exactly what you want, but they'll pick up even the key to it. <clears throat> That Yeah, so the devil knows, and it, the, the computer isn't, the algorithm are a perfect example how he studies our tendencies, and he'll make it, he'll put it right on the lower shelf. He, The devil doesn't make it hard for us to fall. Yes. Box that you can exit out. You gotta really look for it, yeah. Yes. Yeah, sometimes I'm interested in uh, uh, people's net worth or something like that, it's just out of curiosity. And they'll show you one person. you click on the one person, and then be, you, don't, you never see that one person that you were trying to find out about like 50 other people. And so I think that's how they're getting me. Uh, it cool. You asked the one question, a legitimate question. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, Acknowledgment of the familiar spirits in your life that work through tempting your flesh. What's a familiar spirit? We read about that, where Jesus talks about uh, demons that are that are that are sent away, and they return. They left as one, but they come back as seven. A familiar spirit is a spirit from Satan that has made your life a place where it's it's their it's their getaway. It's their home. So. You need to identify, again, going back to what are the areas where I'm weak, where I'm weak. You can put as much chocolate cake in the world in front of me. I don't have to eat no chocolate cake. You put donuts in front of me, Brother Deacon Tim. I don't have to have no donuts. I might have one today. (laughs) I don't have to have a donut. But if you put some carrot cake (laughs) from Firebird's, That might be more difficult. So I know. Um, uh, does anybody have any trouble at certain times of at night with, with getting hungry? Don't you get hungry for the right things? You want that yogurt. yogurt. You can't wait to get the orange. Can't get that celery. Get a... I, yeah ice cream made out of yogurt yeah so no so that I know that certain times of night now with me how many can just eat one (laughs) Mm. (laughs) so so, oh you got to drink some water yeah I ain't tempted for water though yes (laughs) yes sir
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I Uh-huh. 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 i tell my wife that too, then I get mad at her when it's not there. It's like, why don't we have snacks up in this house? Why I gotta be struggling like this? This is ridiculous. No, nothing. What's she go to the store for anyway? I've been married all these years, and she knows not to agree. When I tell her no, I really mean yes. Oh, man. So you need to know what those familiar areas, spirits are, those areas of temptation. Acknowledge, men, of the source of the attack. Jesus was tempted by the devil. That's the piece that we miss, that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. If somehow our eyes could be open, where we are able to see the demonic spirits that are at work when the devil is setting us up for destruction. He's not just trying to make us fall. The Bible says he comes to kill, steal, and then destroy the aftershocks of my fall. And so we we need to, the acknowledgement is needed. The source is the the enemy, is the end? We spend so much time attacking each other and not recognizing the spirit behind what is in operation. We need to be praying that God would reveal to that person or that that the devil, we would rebuke the spirit of the enemy. Uh, Many of us know, and I'm I'm not going to go through the illustration, but that's an illustration of the olive. How it is crushed, and how you get the benefit, and how long it takes, so forth. But that—that's an illustration that you can use about the power of temptation and what it produces when we don't deal with that. When we don't deal with uh, the area of temptation in our life, information is needed. Matthew chapter two, verses verse chapter four, verses two through three. And when he had fasted for forty days, uh. Jesus said if, you are, the, said, said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Uh, and then we talked about why do you need to identify the power source behind the familiar spirit? Uh, the enemy is a seductress. The enemy is a seductress. Uh, and we kind of a, a alluded to that. The devil does not show up looking like the exorcist. You know, if we saw someone's head turned around, and smoke come out of their mouths, and their faces turn green, we would be running. That's not how the devil. The Bible says the angel appears as what? An angel of light. When he tempted Eve in the garden, the Bible says that the devil was what? More subtle, more seductive, more deceptive than any other creature that God had made. One of the things that should have given Eve clarity that this was not of God is because God never created the serpent to speak. Prior to the fall, the the serpent stood erect. Snakes crawl on their bellies as a consequence of sin. But so the devil seduces, he allures, he baits us by the things that we like. Uh, It's kind of like, a guy who, oh, oh, the, the Proverbs talked about the seductive woman, how she dresses, how she talks, how she knows how to look at you. And you, again, all of that's right on, on, your, on your cell phone. People know how to trap you. They know how to r- reel you in. And before long, you've got a habit and you're involved in, in, in pornography and etc. And um, Instead of living in victory, now you're living a defeated life. Uh, the enemy uses the persuasion of words. That's what he does. The devil uses words. And we need to be able to know the word enough that we can dis- distinguish between when the scriptures are being... I was listening to Joe Osteen's wife uh, yesterday. And again, that, they, that ends up on my, my stream. And we're talking about false prophets. And I, I didn't, I, just, I thought of him more as a motivational speaker, not a false prophet. But when I heard what he and his wife had to say, he says that Hindus are, can get to God just as easily as Christians. And his wife said that Jesus was not always God's son, but when, the, when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and at that time he became the Son of God. So Jesus is not eternal. He's a man who, like us, if we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, we have same... Comp- so false prophets. But if you don't know the word, you will be lured in by seductive, persuasive words. The enemy uses the place of worship. We talked about that. It's at church. The devil knows that person that you're trying to avoid at church. That's why you shouldn't have anybody that you're avoiding at church. That's why the Bible says if you have an art in your heart or if you know somebody that you may have offended, get it right. Get it right. I think the greatest sin in the church is unforgiveness. We're waiting for somebody to say they're sorry. Or if somebody apologizes to us, then we act like nothing was ever wrong, and you know that you had an issue. And really, it's the spirit of Cain. What had Abel done to Cain? Nothing. He was mad at God. So sometimes people will be mad at you because, like Abel, he was a worshiper of God. He had a pure heart towards God. Cain did not. And as a result, God says, Cain, I reject your offering, but if you do right, you'll feel right, and I will receive your offering. I will receive your offering. So we need to be making things right. We need to be making things right with people. That's what Christians can do. Amen? Uh, The enemy promises wealth. We saw that. It was so funny. The coldest day of the year many years ago so it was below zero and there was a line going three blocks down and around the corner as people waiting to get a lottery ticket oh yeah oh yeah and if somebody says it might snow oh I can't go to church I can't go to church <laughs> it might snow it, it, it might snow so so the devil will promise us wealth uh, take us away from the scripture, give us a better job, give us a better house, and we pursue uh, monetary things while at the same time neglecting the things of the spirit. The enemy uh, uses the pressures of this world. He offered the, Lord the, he offered the Lord power and prestige. We want to be accepted. We want people to like us. There's a book entitled When People Are Big and God is Small. That's an excellent book. For people who struggle with uh, insignificance, feelings of insignificance. Um, the enemy is subtle. He appears as an angel of light. He has the enemy is strategic. Uh, the devil never takes vacation, even though we do. He attacks through physical needs. We talked about that. He attacks through pride. Uh, to make us think we're more spiritual than we are, he attacks through power, he offered Jesus t- t- titles and authority he the enemy is supernatural of uh, Ephesians chapter six. He has the keys, he has keys uh and the Bible says, we wrestle not against flesh but um I don't know where what that is attached to. He has keys. I have to look at that, y'all. The enemy is supernatural. What you fail to identify can destroy you. Okay? Amen. What you fail to identify can destroy you. Uh, one of the things that when you, before you have a major surgery, they go through your past medical history and they will ask you if you have allergies. And I have an allergy, I I don't have an allergy, but they over-medicated me one time with a a pain uh, medication when I, before I got hip replacement surgery. And the medication was so strong that it sent my heart into affibulation, or was fluttering. And they told me to stop it immediately. So whenever I get ready to get surgery, I'll mention this particular medication. Why would I need to mention that? Okay, what you don't acknowledge can destroy you. Surgery went well, but you died from what you didn't acknowledge. So uh, going, going back to our own personal uh, honesty before the Lord, what are, what, what are the areas where we find ourselves struggling? Okay, where are we at, y'all? Um, B, okay. Uh, application is needed. Recite and obey God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone. Remember that Jesus did that. God's word is a weapon. The Bible is called the sword of the... God's word is like fire and a hammer that breaks yokes. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 26. God's word never fails. It will never return unto him void. But it will what? Accomplish whatever God purposes it to do. God's words must be what? Hidden in our hearts. God's word must be obeyed. Remove stumbling blocks. Remember, talked about that. Make no provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. Flee youthful lusts. What does that mean? Get out of Dodge. Don't Don't even try to play with something that you know can take you out. Look for the way of escape. Look for the way of escape. This verse assures us of four things. That you will not face unusual tests. That God is faithful. The test will not be more than you can handle. That he will provide a way of escape. So we're going to stop there. And I'm determined to stop making all the editorial comments. So all right. I did a little better today, didn't I? Amen, amen, amen. amen. All right. Tempting you to tell a lie. We're good. We're good. I hope that you know that this material will bless you. You can use it. I intend for the church to use it. This is the way that we're going to be making disciples. It is a a very, very uh, handy tool. You you can be, again, different parts of the world in discipling somebody. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you are doing. Help us to identify the areas of temptation in our life. And may we provide, uh, through your word, ways to escape by not making provision for the fulfilling of the lusts of our flesh. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.